All right, everybody repeat out loud after me. I'm all in. Okay, now say it like you mean it. I'm all in. Now, the question is, does that really describe your commitment of faith to our Lord Jesus Christ? That's what I want to talk about today. Uh, we're in a series called Miraculous, and we're looking at these incredible things that God can do in our lives. And as I was laying out this series, one of the things I realized uh, is that Jesus says in Matthew 9, according to your faith, let it be done unto you. And for some of us, it's not having faith and believing what God can do. It's the faith of really committing ourselves fully and completely to him. Now, here's, here's the challenge question I just want you to live with today. Are you all in for our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you fully committed to him? Because I believe that sometimes there are things that God really wants to do, but he can't do until we're fully surrendered to him. Now, I want to look at a, at a story that is a, kind of a famous story from the Old Testament for those of you who grew up around the church. But it's, it's a great uh, story that shows a picture of what happens when our faith is, is really put to the test. And I want you to, if you, if you want to follow along with me, we're going to throw the passage up on the screen. It was too long to put on your outline. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 3. And uh, just a reminder, we do have Bibles in the pews in front of you. We have both English Bibles and Spanish Bibles. And those are our gift to you. If you'd like to have a Bible or have a friend you want to give one to, please feel free to take them. But I want to look at Daniel 3. And for those of you not familiar with the story, I want to read rather a, a rather lengthy piece of Scripture. But in this story, just for background text, um, this is when the people of God are in captivity. Uh, they've been taken to Babylon. Uh, they uh, had got away from God as a nation. They started serving other gods. And when God took his hand of protection off of them, uh, they were captured. They were led away. And now they're living in captivity for 70 years. During this time, there was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar who has this uh, incredible dream about this huge statue. And uh, after, after all of that was said and done, he decided he wanted to build a statue like that. And so he built, uh, on the plains outside of Babylon, he, he built this 90-foot statue, and basically it represented him. And uh, he, he made this decree, whenever you hear the blast of music, you are to bow down to this statue. And, uh, and so this is what began to happen throughout the land. And people everywhere, no matter who they were, they had to bow down. Now, again, I want you to stay with me at this. This includes the people of God. And many of them did bow down. But there were some who were so committed to God that they said, we're just not going to do that. And Nebuchadnezzar found out about these three men that kind of got tattled on by some other guys who were jealous of them. And, uh, and when Nebuchadnezzar found out about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he called them in. And here's what happened. We'll, we'll, I'm going to read the rest of the story for you. You can follow along on the screen. Said, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I have made when you hear the sound of those musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And listen to this statement. 
And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? What a profound question. What God could rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able. He is able to be able to save us. You, he, he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even, listen to this statement, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Now, let me stop there for a second. Think about this with me for just a moment. If you were standing next to someone who literally had a gun to your head, and said, you can either bow down and worship this statue, you can either deny your allegiance to God, or you're going to lose your life, what would you do? Now, I think a lot of us would say, oh, we'd, you know, we would say, take my life, but would we? Come on, honestly, really, would we? That's what they were facing. Look at what happened. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of his strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and they threw them in the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. And then the officers, the officials, and governors and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads were singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. This guy had anger issues. You know what I'm saying? He said, there is no other God who can rescue like this. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to an even higher positions in the providence of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... We're all in. Now, I want to I go back to this story, and I just want to pull two major principles out of it for you and I to think about in our own journey of faith. And the first one I want to unpack for you a little bit, uh, but I, I want just two major concepts that I want you to grab. Are you ready? Here we go. Here's the first one. 
expect that your faith and commitment to God will be tested. Expect that your faith and commitment to God will be tested. Now, I want you to circle the word expect. Now, this is why this is so important. Often when we are asking someone or challenging someone to commit their lives to Jesus Christ, a lot of times we almost give the inference that, you know what, if you just, if you just commit your life to Jesus Christ, everything in life is going to be rosy. Everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to, it's just going to be the most wonderful journey of life. And you know what? It's not always that way. It's almost like we blow right by what Jesus said in John 16, when he said, in this world, you will have trouble. How many of you would say, yep, I've discovered that along the way? Absolutely. And I, when I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, What's interesting is one of the studies they've done in why married couples sometimes have problems shortly after they get married is because marriage didn't turn out the way that they thought it would. Now, let's be honest. How many of you who are married or have been married discovered that married life wasn't exactly what you thought it'd be once you got there? Yeah, yeah, everybody but the liars. Yeah, I'm not raising my hand. My wife's sitting beside me, man. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, well, it is, it, and that's what happens. And what, what they talk about is the fact that it, it's these confusing expectations. I expected it to be this way, and then it's that. And when you go into it, and it's different than what you're expecting, it's real easy to lose faith in it, to lose confidence. And it's the same, it's the same in our relationship with God. If we go into this not expecting our faith to be tested, what's going to happen when it is? And we say, well, Pastor Steve, what do you mean my faith's going to be tested? Well, let me give you a few different ways, because I think this is important for us to understand. First of all, one of the things, if you haven't discovered yet, you will, is that your faith will be tested by people you love. It's got to be tested by people you love. Yeah. How many of you be honest enough to admit that even though you want to serve God with all of your heart and you know he wants you to be patient, how many of you have some people you love that you find it difficult to be patient with? Yeah. You know what's funny is, is, is how we come to church like this, and we're so nice to each other. I love, I love Garrett up here hugging on everybody. He's like me. I just, you know, he's just hugging on all these, all these graduates, which is really cool. And we do that. We come to church, and we hug each other. Then we got to go home with the people we have to live with. And sometimes it's a little bit different there because they're, they test our faith. They really test when Jesus, you know, he talks about living a laid down life and all this. It's like, God, do you really know who I live with? You know how hard these, this is. Or some of us, when we commit our life to Christ, one of the things that begins to happen is all of a sudden we find ourselves with friends who don't share our commitment of faith. Now, maybe they're not all in. And sometimes they want us our friends want us to do things we know we shouldn't do, go places we know we shouldn't go. And all of a sudden, we're in this real awkward position of, am I going to go with them or am I going to stay with God? You know, how, how, do, how do I do that? How do I navigate? That's a test of our faith. And, it, and for some of us, our, our faith, it even goes, it goes stronger. Throw that picture up on, on the screen for me, would you please? This guy is, uh, uh, his, his name is Ashton Zigafot, and he is a um, pastor in Frisco, Texas, uh, of Providence Church. What's amazing is if you read his story, you find out this is a guy who made a commitment to Christ when he was 17 years of age, but he was a part of a Muslim family. 
And what happened to him after he committed his life to Christ was he was disowned by his family. And his father said, you can no longer be a part of, of our family. And this young man at an early age life had, had to go out and be on his own. Uh, he made it through school. He felt a call of God and he had some, some people in his life, fortunately, that came alongside of him, helped him get through college. And now he's a very successful pastor right down the road, just north of Dallas in Frisco, Texas, pastoring this church. But he lost, for a period of time at least, he lost his family. His faith in Christ cost him his family. That's why Jesus challenges. Flip back to that scripture for me, would you, Josh? From Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Read it out loud with me. Anyone who wants to be my follower must love me far more than he does his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, or sisters. Yes, more than his own life. Otherwise, he cannot be my disciples. Look at me. I just want to be honest with you. Somewhere along the way, some of us are going to be challenged with this idea. Am I going to love God even more than I love some of these people who are the closest to me in my life? And that's going to be a test of your faith. Another test of faith that some of us are going to face is that it's going to be tested by people who don't believe in God. It's going to be tested by people who don't believe. I I listened yesterday to a podcast of an 18-year-old kid who um, graduated early uh, from high school out in California. And he was talking about, uh, he entered this uh, Irvine Community College. And he said in his biology class, the first day of class, his biology teacher said, for those of you who have religious beliefs, you're going to need to know that I'm going to challenge your faith. And he was very clear from the beginning that he didn't believe in anything supernatural. You know, that he believed that, uh, that whatever is physical, that's what you can believe, and you can't really believe in a spirit world or anything else. And this biology professor just kind of came right out the class and said, you just need to know that for some of you, some of the things you've been taught, I'm going to challenge you with. Now, what you need to understand is this is going to be so true, particularly for those of you who are in school now, they're going to graduate one day. Did you know that the statistics right now say that up to 80% of the kids who are raised in the church leave the faith after four years of college? Why? Because you're going to go into a, a world, into a life, into an arena where your faith is going to be challenged. And the 17-year-old kid, Michael Rogers was his name, he talked about how he, he went into this class fully prepared. He said, you know, I had done some reading on apologetics myself, even in, in my high school years. And he said, as this college professor started talking, he said, I, I was fully prepared to know my faith is going to get challenged. And you know what? That The disbelief of my college professor actually helped my faith grow stronger. He said, one of the statements his college professor made, he said, you know what the purpose in life is? The purpose of life is you passing along your biological genes to the next generation. That's your purpose in life. Micah said, I sat there in my class going, well, that's a really sad purpose in life. And he's right. And what Micah knew was that there is so much more to this life than that. Now, look at me. Just want you to hear my heart. Do you believe the Bible's true? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be? God in the flesh who came for you. Somewhere along the way, your faith is going to be tested by people who don't believe. Can I give you a third one? This one is going to be probably more apropos for for most of us. And that is that our faith is going to be tested by a culture that has other values. Our faith is going to be tested by a culture 
that has other values. Have you discovered yet that the world around you doesn't really share the same ethics and morals and, and all of that you, that you do? And what you're going to discover is as you get into the work world, particularly, and you start your vocation, you're going to be surrounded by a culture that is going to ask you to, to do things that you're going to go, man, can I, can I really do that? And you're going to be tested. Are you going to compromise your faith or stay true to the Lord? Um, I love when, you know, this is, goes back to Jesus' day. I love how Jesus framed this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. Read it out loud with me. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And for many of us, man, we're going to go to work in places where money is the bottom line. And sometimes, sometimes we're going to be asked to do things that cross over the line of our faith. Then you got to ask yourself the question, is this job worth my walk with God? Um, I'll never forget. It was a great object lesson for me when I was in college. Um, I, took a, I took a job uh, for a while working for this company that, that sold uh, memberships to this buyer's club where you could buy things at a discounted price. And I'll never forget being in a, uh, a, an orientation meeting with uh, some other new salesmen and the two managers were talking to us about kind of training us on what we could expect and what we should do. And a guy who I was uh, in college with at Gulf Coast Bible College, uh, another guy who was also preparing for ministry who had worked for the company for a while, he come into the room and he said to one of the managers, he said, hey, there is a couple uh, out in the lobby, uh, they want to talk to you. And I could tell by the look on the manager's face that uh, this was a couple he didn't want to talk to. Either he couldn't give them what he wanted or they were complaining about something that he couldn't answer. Whatever it was, he, he didn't want any part of them. And so he turns to the salesman, this friend of mine, and he says, just tell them I'm not here. I want you to let that settle in for a second. Just tell them I'm not here. And I'll never forget my, my, my friend looking at this manager and saying, I can't do that. You are here. I'm not going to lie. I can tell them you're not available. I can tell them you'll call them later. I can tell them that they can come back later. I can tell them any number of things that are true, but I'm not willing to lie for you. And I remember sitting there listening to this thinking how proud I was of, of my friend. And I'm and thinking to myself, I'm not sure how I would have handled that because how easy, how easy, come on, think with me, how easy would it have been going, it's just a white lie. It's just a white lie. You know, he doesn't want to talk to him. I'm done, you know, I'll tell him what he said. Or we would have, could have justified it and said, well, it's not really me lying. It's my manager lying. I'm just kind of being his mouth. We could have rationalized that any number of ways in our mind. But I was so proud of my friend who said, you know what, basically my faith is more important to me than this job. And I'm not going to say something, even on your request, that's not so. Now, just look at me. Hear my heart for a second. You're going to head out of here in just a little bit. And you're going to go out into a culture that doesn't share your passion for our Lord Jesus Christ. And somewhere along the way, that faith is going to be challenged. Can you stand that test when you're in that fire? Or how about this one? Some of you have already been tested like this. Your faith is going to be tested by difficulties. Somewhere along the way, for some of us, 
Our faith is going to be tested by difficulty. Come on, it's just us. How many of you be honest enough to admit at some point on your journey, you've looked up at God and you said, why me, Lord? Why me? You ever do that? Why me? Why am I going through this? Why am I having to deal with this? Because somehow in the back of our minds, there's this belief that we really want. And that is that if I'm, if I'm really sold out to God, then bad things aren't really going to happen to me. Look at me. And that's not true. Can we go back to the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for a minute? I want you to hear what they said. O King Nebuchadnezzar, know this. The God whom we serve He is able to deliver us out of your hand. We love that part. But remember what they said next? But if not, but if not, if God allows us to be burnt up in this furnace, know this, he is still God and we will still serve him. And along the way, your faith is going to be tested by difficulty. It may be physical problems that you go through or health issues. It may be relationship problems that come up. It may be financial situations that you go through. Somewhere along the way, you're going to go through difficulties, and a part of what you're going to hear whispering in your ear is the enemy trying to tell you there is no God. Otherwise, you wouldn't be going through what you're going through. And what I'm going to tell you, it's in the midst of those kinds of difficulties where you really get to prove your faith. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for some of us, that's when we discover when we put our full faith in God, he shows up in ways that we never expected. I'm, a, I'm teaching a class on, on Wednesday nights right now using Max Licato's material, Traveling Light. It's a, it's a look at the 23rd Psalm. And this last week, we were uh, talking about... Um, the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not. When he makes me to lie down in green pastures, we talk about this idea of rest. And Max was talking about this. There was a guy on the video, his name was Mark, who shared his testimony. And Mark talked about the fact that he basically was starting his own company. And so from the time he left his other company, during that six-month period before he got his new company going, his wife was diagnosed with cancer. And he had no insurance during that, that time. And so suddenly his wife is going through all these medical tests, having all these, and the the medical bills are just piling up, and they're just burning through whatever money that they had. Finally, uh, his wife ended up passing away. That left Mark with four children, ages 18 to 9. And he said, now all of a sudden, he goes, I've got these four kids um, and and I'm, I'm, all I can think about is how are they going to make it through life without their mother? And he said, I, I was trying to give them every minute. He said, I, I've got this business that I'm trying to get going, but I, I've got to give them every moment of time. He said, so I was taking care of them, and I was trying to do more, really, than I was taking on. And he, he just talked about the fact that he said, the harder I worked, the more, the more fatigued I, I became. And he said, we got further and further behind in bills. And he, he said, our, our utilities were always in danger of being cut off. And he said, finally, one day, he said, I got I to gotta notice that the electricity was going to be turned off. And he said about two days later, he said, I woke up in the morning and he, he said, I looked and he said, one of, our, one of our lights was on in the house. I could see from my room. And he said, I, I smiled. He said, I thought to myself, well, I guess the electricity is still on. And he said, suddenly I, I heard this voice whisper to me. Can you thank me that the electricity is still on? 
And Mark's like, seriously, God? My wife's dead. I've got four kids I'm trying to take care of. I've got this mountain of bills. And you want me to thank you that the electricity is still on? And he said, I I heard God say it to me again, Mark. Can you thank me that the electricity is still on? And Mark's like, okay. Thank you that the electricity is still on, you know. And he said, and then all of a sudden he said, I hear God speak again. And he said, and God said, and Mark, can you thank me that you are still breathing? <laughs> and Mark's like, really? I mean, is this what this is going to be like today? And so he said, sure. I thank you, God, that I'm still breathing. And Mark said, when I said that, he said, the weirdest thing happened. He goes, all this, this heaviness that I'd been feeling, this like a, like a heavy blanket on me. He said, all, all of a sudden, he said, I, I felt it lift just a little bit. He said, I felt just a, a little bit lighter. And he goes, and it was in that moment that, that I realized, I, all I've been dwelling on is the darkness. And he said, I realized that it's in, it's in gratitude to God that we, that we really find the, the answers. And he, he said, he said I, got, I got excited. He said, I got out of bed and he got in the shower. He goes, man, I'm in the shower. I'm thanking God for everything I can think of. And he said, and the more that I thank God, the lighter my heart became. And he said, by the time I got ready to, to leave the house and go to work, he said, he said it was like hope was just flooding back into me. And he said, for the first time in a long time, he said, I went into that day filled with hope and expectation. And he said, what was crazy? He said, when I came home, when I got home that night, he said, there were 11 bags of groceries outside my front door. And he said, and to this day, I have no idea where they came from. Mark was saying, you know what, we get lost in the darkness. But it's in that difficulty when we can hang on to God and in that darkness truly believe God is who he claims to be. Those are the moments that God can show up in power. I love how Peter says it. It's almost kind of, kind of funny how he writes it to the church. He says, dear friends, read it with me, church. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Look at me. Hear the words of Jesus once again. In this world, you will have troubles. Look at me. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Amen? You bet. Expect that your faith and commitment to God will be tested. That's one half of this. Here's the other piece. Expect that God will be with you in the testing and will see you through the testing. That's the other expectation that you can have. You see, I don't want to. I don't want to leave you with this this real grim feeling of okay, man. I've I got to walk out of here, and I've got to expect to be tested. Yeah, it's going to come, and, and you need to you need to prepare yourself for that. But here's the deal: God will be with you in whatever you go through, and God will see you through it. That's what the story of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego is all about. Not that you will escape the fiery furnace, but that God will see you through. Look at the passage of Scripture from Isaiah 43, 2. Read it out loud with me, church. When you go through deep waters, 
I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Again, listen to what God is saying. Not that you won't have deep waters, you will, but I'll be with you. Not that you won't have rivers of difficulty, you will, but I will be with you. Not that you won't have fires of oppression, you will, but I will be with you. Deuteronomy 31.8, read it with me, church. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Look at me. I know some of you are walking through some tough places. I get it. And I know it's easy to get so focused on the bad that you lose sight of the hope that we have in our Lord. But it's in those difficult places that God shows you he really is with you and he will get you through this. In fact, I love what Paul says in Romans 8, 28. Read it with me. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Not only will God be with you, and not only will he get you to the other side, but did you notice what happened at the end of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Not only did they come out unscorched, but the king elevated them to a position even higher than before. Don't ever miss this. You see, God, in his miracle-making ability, can take even the things that the enemy has meant for evil, and he can redeem it for good. Are you all in? About 30 years ago, there was a Canadian by the name of Ed Leonard who was working for a drilling company down in Columbia, South America. Um, he was uh, kind of one of those guys that tested the rock to see if there was veins of gold or copper or any of that kind of stuff. He worked down there. He was 60 years old. He worked for about two weeks uh, down in South America. And then he was kidnapped. And he was held hostage. And they held him for ransom. They sent uh, letters to the company demanding a $2 million ransom. He was held, Ed Leonard was held for 105 days. They uh, walked him all through the jungles uh, he said he covered all the Andes Mountains, basically going up and down. They kept him on the move. Uh, through that process of time, he, he went through a lot of physical issues. He lost 26 pounds. Finally, after 105 days in captivity, he got up one morning, and they told him that there was going to be an exchange. And so they walked him out to, to the side of a mountain where there was this uh, dirt rock road. And he saw another American coming toward him that he didn't recognize, or another, not American, but another Canadian coming toward him that he didn't recognize. And when the guy got up to him, he said, you must be Ed Leonard. And he said, I am. And he shook his hand. He said, Ed, your shift is over. You can go home now. And Ed kind of looked surprised. And in the course of conversation, he discovered who this was that was taking his place. It was the owner of the company. Norbert Reinhardt. A 40-year-old man that 
knew of what was going on with Ed, was in constant communication with those who were holding him hostage, and contacted them and said, let my employee go. Take me instead. And so on that day, Ed Leonard got to go home. And Norbert Reinhardt stayed with the rebels for the next three months until they were able to negotiate a price that they would live with and he could go home as well. Throw that picture up on the screen. And that's Norbert Reinhardt and his wife and his child after the day of he, after he was released and came home. Just a question. Do you think Ed Leonard, do you think that his affinity for Terramundo went up after what the owner of the company did for him? I mean, if the owner of your company that you worked for put himself in your place so that you could be freed from terrorists, wouldn't you be that much more committed to them? That's what God did. Before you ever made your commitment to him, here's what God said, I'm all in. For God so loved you that he sent his one and only son, that if you would just believe in him, the Bible says you don't have to perish, but you can have everlasting life. Look at me, gang. God withheld nothing from you. He put everything he had on the line. Will you be all in for him? What I'm going to promise you today, if you fully surrender your life to our Lord Jesus Christ, is this. Not that you won't have problems, you will. Not that your faith won't be tested, it will. Not that you won't go through difficulty, you will. But here's what I promise you. God will be with you. He'll see you through it. And he will even use it in ways for your good. You know, this morning as we close, I want to invite you, if you would, go ahead and take out your little chalice for communion and pull off the bottom and take that little piece of bread out. And then if you want to peel back the top. We want to take just a couple of moments and allow you just a private time of worship with God. Rachel's going to lead us in this song. It's just a, a beautiful song. That reminds us that God is with us through every storm of our life. And I I don't know how your faith is being tested. I don't know what challenges you may be dealing with. I don't know where you may have been wavering in your faith. For some of us, this may be the first time that we've ever fully made a commitment of our lives to Jesus Christ. Whatever that is, here's what I want you to know. This wafer that you hold, this represents a body that was broken for you. This juice, it represents blood that was spilled on your half. This, these symbols that are sacred to us was God's way of saying, I'm all in. Will you be all in with me? I just want to invite you in these next few moments to fully surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. After Rachel's led us through this, I'll pray together and we'll receive the elements. Father, we hold in our hands today the reminders of your commitment to us. When you sent Christ to be on this earth, you knew it was to an agonizing death. But you were fully committed to our rescue. You gave yourself that we might live. Father, as we, as we look at these elements and we remember what you did today, forgive us 
Forgive us of half-hearted commitments. Forgive us of the ways that we make room in our lives for other gods. Forgive us, Lord, for anything less than being all in with you. Lord, your word is clear that along the way of life, our faith is going to be tested. And if we're not fully committed, Lord, it'll be easy for us to let go. So, Father, here today, help us to commit ourselves as fully to you as you have to us. Lord, we receive this bread in gratitude today, knowing that this was your body broken on our behalf. We receive this juice as a reminder today, Lord, that the blood was drained from your body to atone for our sins. Today, Father, it is with grateful hearts, unworthy hearts, and hearts full of love that we receive these things. We commit ourselves fully to you. In the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen.